Next, let's identify what you don't know and then learn it. See, it's okay if you don't know some of this stuff, but ask for some directions. In North America, one of the, the jokes women have most is men refuse to stop and ask for directions. He'd rather take twice as long to get there and drive around. He looked like a fool in his mind if he stops and asks for directions. That's why some of you are so glad these uh, global positioning things came along. As you uh, can punch it in and go, I don't have to stop and ask anybody for anything. I can, uh, I can confidently do what I'm doing. My uh, GPS system gets me there every time. Ask for direction. Ask for help in what you don't know. You've got some good resource people around here. Um, you've got some men of wisdom here. I'm beginning to identify. It's been fun for me. I've been here um, just a month and a half. And I'm already beginning to identify several men. I think I've got a list now of almost 20 on my list of guys who are going, this guy gets it. He knows. He knows it. And... Um, if you haven't noticed, there's a bunch of young men around who would love these kind of conversations. And if they don't want them right now, they'll need them down the road. So be willing to ask for directions. Get some help. There's some pretty good tape resources out there. Plug in a CD and listen to it. Um, you know, one of the things that's been impressive for me being here is just a lot of the things that uh, the church is doing, preventative stuff. A lot of the stuff Barry's doing with individuals and with families. There's some good resources here, and people are taking it seriously. Now, just like if you're out of shape, and you go, it's time to get in shape, and you jump in and start everything all at once, you ache everywhere, and you... You often go, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this. So you had like one good shot at it. It's like anything else. Start slowly. Um, you don't have to learn everything all at once. Just get started. Go for two or three things. And then let's begin to create a network of mentors, coaches. Guys that you know are willing to have these conversations. And mentor, coach, guys, you know who you are. You don't have to have all the answers. Often just listening, going, yeah, let's, let's work on this one together. Let's, uh, let's find somebody to help with this. Let's uh, email or call somebody and check on this. Now, let's really wrap this up. I want to save a few uh, minutes for questions, if we can. It's really time to start passing this on. Passing on values. Values are all the way from theoretical values to actual lifestyle values. Um, Graham Johnston's here. Graham and I have been friends for several years. We're part of a mentoring group. Actually, with Leighton Ford, probably uh, among other things he's known for, he's Billy Graham's um, uh, brother-in-law, married Billy's youngest sister, and we've been connected to Leighton and been in the group together for a long time. And one of the other guys in the group gave a talk um, that I found so profound. He was giving a talk to businessmen. And he said, um, how many of you have in your businesses uh, some sort of slogan or value that says, people matter? 
Everybody's hands went up. You have a high regard for people in your organization. Yep. How many of you belong to a fitness club of some sort? He said in that particular breakfast group, everybody but one guy put their hand up. He said, how many of you at your uh, club have a towel boy, comes around, picks up stuff? Yep. How many of you know the name of your towel boy? Only two hands went up out of 40-some guys. He said, you have a theoretical value. People matter. Tall boy at your club matters. You don't even know his name. It's a theoretical value. You don't actually live it out. When I heard that, I thought, he's on to something there. You can say all kinds of things about what really matters. How do you live your life? How do you give time to people in your life? How do you live out what you say are your values? How do you live it out? My youngest son, um, not really a rebel. He just always went to the beat of a different drummer. Uh, unusual chap. By age 22, he'd been in 24 countries. He uh, just just uh, interesting guy. Um, I got blamed for a lot of his stuff. In reality, he's far more like his mother. Um, but hers is just more subtle than mine. Which means the kid doesn't have much of a prayer in hell being normal, but that's okay. Um, but one time I was talking to him, about 17, and I said, uh, Eric, this, this sort of uh, lack of respect for authority thing, but it's, it's really time to address this. He looked at me and goes, you're talking to me about respecting authority? I said, yeah. He goes, Dad, I learned everything I've, I know from you, buddy. I said, like what? He goes, as long as I can remember, we would, uh, we'd be going somewhere. Of course, we were always late because you were talking to somebody, Mr. Talking Boy. <laughs> he said, uh, we'd hit a red light. And uh, if you were, if it just turned red, he said, I remember a number of times you would look in every direction and go right through it. And then you'd look at me and say, they're there for your protection. If you don't need them, don't use them. He goes, Dad, I'm your son, buddy. Take a look. I went, man. And I... And he said, I got more examples. You want to hear them? And not really. Not really. But it did get me started thinking about what did I pass on? A lot of good things, I think. But there are a whole bunch of those that I had theoretical values for that I didn't pass on good stuff. I didn't pass on good stuff. So we've begun to have those conversations and said, look, I, uh, I did a pretty good job. I blew it in a couple areas. Can we talk about this? And we have. Made some great conversations. There is this human experience that just about everybody alive wants. That's to love and to be loved. So since people in your family and in your life want it, learn how to say it and learn how to show it. 
again, even in cultures where it would not be a theoretical value that saying I love you would not be regarded highly, when you have these interviews with young men, they would say, I'd give anything if I would have just heard once from my dad that he loved me. I said, you know, it's interesting because all of the theoretical values of your culture said that doesn't matter. And they said, mattered to me. Mattered to me. Say it. Show it. Learn how to do it. Learn to pass on a blessing. Blessing is one of those things that has a meaningful touch, a direct eye contact, a spoken word. You picture a bright future for somebody. You make a promise to be with them for that blessing and stand behind it. Blessing is known in cultures around the world. It just looks different in different places. Some places in material cultures, it's just reduced to giving a really good gift. Nah. People would much rather have a spoken word over them than a gift any day. Lasts a lot longer. My favorite sermon I have ever preached. I know that's an odd thing to say. But my favorite sermon I've ever preached is the beheading of John the Baptist preached on Mother's Day. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, read the story or remember it, but there was uh, this girl who danced for Herod, who was the king. It was actually his stepdaughter, and because it was palace, he was not around her much. Herod, his wife Herodias, and her daughter. And um, she danced for him. And apparently, either he had had a little too much to drink, or she had amazing moves. Because he was so inspired, he said to her, I will give you anything you want, up to half the kingdom. She was young, so he went, she went to her mother and said, Mom, look, I get up to half the kingdom. I can ask anything. What do I, what do I want? What do I ask for? Now, in that moment, her mother had a ble- an opportunity to pass on a blessing that would have lasted her daughter a lifetime. But instead, she passed on her own bitterness. She said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. That sucker annoys me. Ask for his head on a platter. She did. The king said she could have anything she wanted, so she got it. It's interesting historically to track the story of Herodias' daughter, um, Salome, and see what happened to her. Married multiple times. Actually had a couple husbands killed. And... Uh, just manipulated people her entire life. People are looking for a blessing. Speak them. Offer them. My last trip to West Africa, I was in Nigeria. And uh, there was a, a young man, 24 years old, who had been the uh, special assistant to the First Lady. And because of a number of things we had done with the government officials there, he, we'd worked closely with him. And um, I'd gotten to meet his fiancée, and, and we had a dinner together. It was great. And he, and he phoned uh, my hotel room. It was the last night I was there. And he said, is there any way I can come see you before you leave the country? I don't like those. Um, 
and uh, but he he'd done so much. I mean, things had just gone so well because he had done a great job for us. So I said, I've got just a few moments. You can stop by. It'll, it'll probably be less than 15 minutes, but here's the time slot I have if you can come. And he showed up. And uh, we talked for just a few minutes. Um, again, um, polygamous family. Um, his exact numbers were 13 wives. He was one of 68 children. He was number 27. Um, but interestingly enough, the first son. And I said, the first son? He said, well, the first son of the favorite wife. Which worked out for him. But he said there was just this huge pressure to become something significant. He said there was the expectation, but never resources to get there. And uh, before, we, uh, before he left, I had to go and I had a team I had to pull together and get up early in the morning. And I just said to him, before you go, um, I'm, I'm going to just say a prayer for you. I mean, it was a kind thing to do. It was a good thing to do. It was also a way to cut the meeting a little short, frankly. And so I just sat there in my chair, and uh, he was across from me. I began to pray for him. And it was a, I heard something. It was like furniture moving or something, but I had my eyes closed, didn't look up. And all of a sudden, I felt something. This guy was kneeling kneeling, touching my knee. I go, this is a little weird. And um, I finished up pretty quickly. And he said to me, I, uh, I hope this is okay. He said, in our culture, when a father blesses a son, you, uh, you kneel before him and you touch his knee and he touches your head. And he said, I'm 24 years old. Professionally, I'm doing great. But I've never gotten a blessing from my father. He's very old. And I'll probably never get one. And as you were praying for me and the connection I've had with you this week, I felt like this is the closest thing to a blessing of father I'm ever going to get. So I took advantage of it. Thank you. If I'd known it was that, I would have given a little more to it. But it was great, great for him. Now, that was important to me because I got a, as soon as I finished with him, I got another call. And it was the young female lawyer we worked with all week. And boy, she had just done a great job. Talented. Um, early 30s. Uh, single. Dramatically good looking. Just made things happen like this. And she said, I just need to stop by. I want to say goodbye to your team. And I, I just want a word with you. So, we couldn't tell her no. She stopped by, and uh, she asked for just one word with me, and so I said, look, I'm going to pray for you. Started pray for her, same thing, very same experience. I, I uh, felt her touching my knee, and I thought, boy, am I glad I had this experience with the guy first, because if I was, like, sitting in this room, and this uh, really nice-looking young uh uh, African lawyers reaching over on my knee. I'm going, this would, uh, this would not be good. These are the kind of stories they tell guys, run, run like the wind, get out of there. 
And when we finished, she said, can I tell you my story? She said, I am, I'm one of seven daughters, and my father abandoned our family, and my mother did a great job raising us, and my mother died. And she said, I'm an orphan. And as you were praying for me, this is like a blessing I know I will never get from my father, so I received it as that. Now, I just told you two from Africa, but I've had this experience now in almost 40 countries of the world. People around the world want a blessing from a father. And a whole lot of people are never going to get it. I mentioned earlier, it's why I have given my life to mentoring. Because it's the one thing that seemingly makes the biggest difference in people's lives. Just from a sheer human perspective. Now, you have the opportunity in family structures here to pass it on. Please do it. The final thing I want to mention is just the power of ceremonies. Ceremonies are um, done around the world, initiations into manhood, um, initiations into um, uh, becoming, uh, taking on rites of passage, um, validation of a community, validation of families. They're often uh, detailed and complex, sometimes very simple. In uh, a number of the cultures, like Canada, Australia, U.S., we, we don't really have good structures for ceremonies. And so I've begun to create these um, various places. I'll give you the last one. It was uh, this last fall we were in in um, uh, Lausanne Young Leaders Conference in Malaysia. We had 550 young leaders from 110 countries. In the mentoring group that I had, we just discovered several of them came from polygamous families. Uh, one one uh, chap was from Iran. Um, it, was, uh, it was a unique blend of people. And this thing began to come up that several of the guys never got a blessing of father, actually had a hard time going into manhood. They were, they were just wrestling with... They, their confidence levels were low for as talented as they were, things like that. So he said, look, we're going we're gonna to structure a, uh, a manhood ceremony. And uh, here's what it's going to look like. On our next last night, we're going down to the beach. And uh, you're going to stand up on the beach. I'm going to be down by the water. You're going to give your name, and, and, uh, which is your identity. And uh, you're going to announce what you're going to leave behind and what you're going to embrace. And then we're going to have two lines of men who are going to lay hands on you as you walk past. And then you're going to come up. And I will place my hands on you and give the blessing of a father and the blessing of God to you. Uh, my, my son was there and a couple of young guys I'd been mentoring. They went out and bought, had no transportation, but they found tiki torches and fuel to go in them, and a bunch of other stuff. They created this whole scenario on the beach. People were wondering what this is. By the time we were done, there were lots of people watching. And when we were done, people one by one kept saying, can I have one? Can I have one? I wish I would have done it the final night instead of the next to the last night. <laughs> because on that final night, we, we, it was seriously, 
we had somewhere between multiple dozens and a hundred or more people saying, I've never gotten this. Can I have one? Every time we've ever done this, people line up and say, can we have this? Whenever we've done them for men and there's been women around, women will say, will you do one for us? I said, kind of hard for me to call you to the fullness of your womanhood. Um, I'm not quite sure how to do that, so we always find a couple women to help us and we do that. Simply stated, it's time for us to pass on to the next generation the best, the absolute best of what we can be as men, as families, as leaders. Pass it on, guys. Please. I'm going to take two questions and then I'm going to send you off. We're done. I want to stick to our time. But we'll stick around for a couple more questions after that. There was a question asked earlier about pornography. Can you define it? And I'm going to say it's easier to describe than to define. But I think it's worthwhile doing that because it changes from era to era and, uh, and even culture to culture. A lot of the concepts have changed throughout history. I mean, early artists were often their works were branded as pornographic and now they're not. Um, because of during the, uh, the, the time of uh, imperialism, uh, England and its standards were set around the world. Of course, Queen Victorian era. Uh, if your ankle showed, wow, as if we all have ankle fetishes of some sort. Uh, a couple of you guys, I think, probably do, but that's another issue. Um, so how that's defined uh, will vary. However, the issue has to become um, for your own human experience and your own human soul that where those things cross over for you, cross over from enjoying beauty, cross over from enjoying person to objectifying person, objectifying a person, and where it crosses over from uh, a healthy human experience to becoming one that's highly sexualized. That's where you've crossed over into pornography. Now, one of the conversations I have in various places is uh, where young men have not been exposed to um, to female form in, in very many ways. Say, the, the problem you have is everything is a temptation to you. I was at a leaders' conference in, in Europe one time, and one of the guys said to me, it must be terrible trying to be a Christian leader in America. I said, that's a funny statement. Tell me why. He said, because everything for you guys is a temptation. He said, keep talking. This, this intrigues me. He said, anytime I'm around um, Christian leaders in America, and, and anybody gets honest at all, they start talking about how, uh, how much temptation and lust they have. He said, I'm not saying guys in Europe don't have issues with lust. Just not like you guys. Like, everything's lust for you guys. And I said, keep talking. This is fascinating to me. And he said, for example, we, we grew up going to beaches where you could see people in all sorts of forms of dress and undress. He said, most of the time you didn't want to see it, but you did. That was the German guy speaking, by the way. <laughs> um, 
And uh, they said, we, we can do that. But you guys didn't. And they said, when we listen, most of the time for American leaders, what their temptations are and their lusts are, are just have to do with simple female form stuff. They said, like, we, we, can, we can be around that anytime we want to, at least pretty much ethically and morally as well. So I'm not saying we don't lust, just not like you guys. Now, that conversation was crucial for me. Because I came home and had that conversation with both of my sons. And I said, what we have to do is help you desensitize yourself so everything, absolutely everything's not a temptation to you. And everything's not pornographic. Now, my oldest son's been married 10 years. My daughter-in-law came to me twice since and has thanked me for having that conversation. She said, your son and I probably have one of the best relationships, including best sexual relationships, of any young couple I know because of that conversation you've had with him. She said, we actually now talk to couples. I talk to young women about freeing their husbands up so that everything's not a temptation to them. She said, so thank you from dozens if not hundreds of other young women. Now, those are conversations. Where do you have them? Who do you have them with? If you're wondering what, what's going on in my mind. And it's worth having. This discussion's worth having because if you're going to have conversations with sons or other men about porn, you need to know how, how are you defining this thing and what is it that we're actually talking about. Another question. That one was actually came at break. Is there another question? You go, look, this, this will help me and the whole crowd if we can answer this one. I know I've probably done an incredible job explaining everything, but there might be one question. Come on. What might it be? If not, we'll send you on your way. One question. Either you're anxious. Ah! I feel like an auctioneer. I have one right here. Yep. Now, without uh, without humiliating you, I did mention a number of them. You just picked up on porn, um, <laughs> which probably says something. No, no. <laughs> See, if you do this, you don't get that many more questions. That's why I do this. You know, that just sort of quits the questions right there. No, we said this. This is what I'm like at work. This is what I'm like when I'm someplace else. This is what I'm like at home. This is what I'm like with my kids. See, women say all the time. Why can you be so kind and even tender to your, your little daughter and not be that way with me at all? Why, why can you show such, such, uh, such affection to the kids but not me? Why is it that when somebody calls, you're nice? Like you've been screaming at me and somebody calls you on the phone and all of a sudden your tone of voice changes. That's all compartmentalization where this is one compartment, this is another, this is another. And... I mean, it's a normative, somewhat of a normative human experience. But for a lot of the, for a lot of us, they're just different modes. You kick into a work mode. When I'm at work, I work hard. I always say, I work hard, I play hard. I have as much fun or more than any, than any guy my age I know, other than guys who have lots of money and don't have to work. Because um, I work hard, I play hard. I do both. I kick in and out. But I don't have, like, here's Martin at work, here's Martin at play. No, it's just both sides of me. Just different, different things. But, but lots of men are highly structured. I mean, this is, I'm completely different here than here than here. 
there will be guys who will show up at church on Sunday. And they're like, Mr. Nice Guy. And the rest of the week, they're not. Um, Billy, Billy Graham had uh, well, probably one of the best examples of this. Um, he had been a personal uh, coach to, uh, to U.S. President um, Nixon. And uh, that was back when Watergate happened. And his, this historic thing. And there were these secret tapes that came out. Now, uh, President Nixon had told, had let Billy Graham think he was this really good Christian guy. They'd had these deep conversations. When these tapes came out, this guy had the worst vulgar mouth. Just mean, nasty, like cutthroat kind of thing and swore about every third word. Billy Graham said, that can't be the president. I know him. I talk to him all the time. That can't be the president. The president admitted, no, that's my voice. And Billy Graham said, couldn't be. Like, I've talked to you. That's not you. Yeah, it is. Completely different style, tone, approach. How you handle yourself. Those are all compartments. And we've got guys in the room, seriously, their life has 10 or 12 compartments. And you're the good guys. There's other guys out there whose compartments are really, and they're just completely different and not congruent. Yep. Yep. Masks are typically the outward thing. These are, these are whole value systems you make in your inner life. Yeah, these are, these are inner life issues rather than just simple external ones. Yep. Just like we talked about, uh, I just mentioned in passing, merging personalities. If somebody has multiple personality disorder, there's a whole structure you go through to merge these. Part of it is just recognizing I have these and going, okay, look, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, I mean, there's one of three or four ways. One is that awareness and start saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to merge these. I'm not going to be a completely different person in, in different places in my life. Secondly, that's, that's what um, classic counseling is for, to, to talk to somebody, a professional therapist, to help you merge them. The third one is, I mean, this is what, when, when you sit around and talk, when a coach or a mentor, just somebody sits around and goes, are you aware you do this? Do you know what's going on in your mind? This, this isn't like deep analysis. It's just like um, understand what you're doing make a couple behavioral adjustments. A lot of it's just awareness. Most of us are just used to doing it this way. We don't even think about it. It's just sort of second nature. And become aware of, I want to be a congruent guy. I want to be a man of integrity that all sides of me match. Um, so that when I'm a, I'm a private person, when I'm in my private life is my public life. The way I treat really difficult people is the same way I treat people I like. Being aware of that it's how you change any other pattern. Look at your own life and say, when I've made other changes in my life, how have I made those? I'm going to make them in these. There may only be three or four compartments. There may be ten or twelve compartments. I just uh, coached a guy. He said to me, I've been around you. When you talk to the plumber, it's the same way as when you meet with presidents of whatever. You treat people the same. I said, are you sure of that? Because I've watched you. See, that was one of the things about my dad. 
that I learned early on. Uh, my dad was uh, applauded because no matter who he was with, he treated them the same way. I thought, as a theoretical value I picked up on. So I was glad when somebody said that to me. And he said to me, will you coach me on how to do it? Because I'm not like that at all. My first question to him is, what's behind that? He goes, what do you mean? And I said, do you assign value to people differently? Like, that guy's a 10, that guy's a 3. He goes, I do that. Okay, that's where we got to start. You actually treat people differently because you value them differently. And you probably value them differently, not in a theoretical way, but it's because of what they can do for you. He goes, I do that. Okay. Yeah, you, you, you got to quit that one, buddy. Because people matter. Everybody matters. My favorite example, I was actually talking to a pastor. And um, I suggested to him, after being there for a weekend, I suggested that he consider this one guy as an elder. And the pastor looks at me and he goes, the guy's a bus driver. And your point is, said, you know, everybody else is on the board, sort of like an executive. I said, how well do you know this guy? He was fairly well. I said, do you know his story? Like, he, he was in uni. He was going to be an engineer, and his father got really sick, and he was the oldest son, and he had to drop out for a while to take care of the family. And when his father died, he never went back to uni. Yes, he happens to drive bus, but he's got an engineer's mind. Do you not know that about him? No. He said, guy's as sharp as anybody you have on your board. And you said he's a bus driver? As if that doesn't matter either? He goes, well, I didn't mean it that way. I said, yes, you did. You assigned value according to people's jobs. You have no right leading in the kingdom. This is so unlike Jesus. You deserve to be fired today. I have no authority. I just talk big. Yeah. But he was completely unaware that he did that to people. And I said, I'll bet you you do that a lot. And he actually asked for some help. And he said, I, I think I do that. I just never knew that about me. I think I assign value just randomly about people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I, I want to say one final word, but Brad's got some CDs he's holding up. What's that mean? Oh yeah. Um, I I have a, I have a, a couple CDs that we copied this week, and if you are interested, contact uh, church office this week. Okay. Okay. Uh, any other announcements that I'll uh, mess up and you need to clarify here? <laughs> See, he's assigning a low value to me. I talk big, but I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, I made reference to uh, Testament Face Gordon McDonald CD. We've, uh, with permission, we've.